Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1963 titled I Am the Vine. Neville tells his audience, We're told in the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Verses 7 and 8. The Bible is the word of God in, in, in its entirety. No matter how far it may exceed the limits of our logic, it still stands forever. And you and I will experience everything in that book. If at that moment we can't grasp it, don't try to change it and leave it just as it is. It will prove itself in the most marvelous series of mystical experiences that you ever conceived. In fact, you couldn't conceive them. So don't even attempt to change the book. Leave it just as it is. It stands forever. Everything will fade and wither, but it will stand forever. Now, we are told in the 84th Psalm, Blessed are the men in those whose hearts are the highways of Zion. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods is seen in Zion, verses 5 and 7. If you have the highway in your heart, that leads to Zion. You will see God, and everyone is destined to go to Zion. Now the word Zion appears first in the second book of Samuel, the eighth chapter. I have yet to find a book written by anyone that can throw any light upon it. I'm not being arrogant. I have experienced it. So here in this book, the fifth chapter, beginning with the sixth verse, beginning with the first, for that matter, and you go through, say, 10 or 12 verses of Second Samuel, the word Zion appears for the first time. Zion was Jerusalem before occupied by Israel. The Zebuzites occupied it. They were the lame and the blind, and it was impregnable. You cannot take it, and they said to David, you cannot come in here. Then they said, the lame and the blind will ward you off. It would only take the lame. And the blind to keep you out of Zion. That's how perfectly arranged it was. Impervious to any attack. But David took the stronghold of Zion and named it the city of David, which is the city of God. The New Jerusalem. Then said David, whoever would take the Je Jebusites, let him go up to the shaft, the water shaft. The water shaft was a perpendicular shaft that led from the rock below to the rock above on which Zion was built. I have read unnumbered attempted interpretations of this, and they all conclude it doesn't make sense. Maybe the script is distorted. Maybe someone changed it, but it doesn't make sense. For, said they, David is attempting to build a circular city at the same time he is building an inward city. So they conclude that no man can build in a circle an inward at one, and the same time, unless, of course, he is attempting to construct this strange architectural feat in a spiritual manner. For then you can build the circle and the inward at one and the same time if you are going to do it in a spiral manner. Over the centuries, they have been trying to find just such a structure in the Near East, where we call Jerusalem. And it isn't there at all. It's all in us. The whole vast Bible takes place in man, individual man. And this is true. My entire circular world that I am building 
and I am building the inner world. Here we are told I look at it, and it's made up of the lame and the blind, and they are strong enough to stop me from getting in to take the citadel. Yet I am told I must make the effort to take the citadel, and David takes it. Then he makes the statement, Whoever would take the citadel must go up the shaft from the bottom to the top. That's how he goes up. This is a perpendicular shaft that rests below, and it goes through all the rocks right up to the top where Zion is built. So let me show you how it's done. We turn now to the 15th chapter of the book of John, which is related to the 18th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Here we are told about a strange vine. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, my father takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 1. And you'll find a parallel in Isaiah 18. I look at my world and everything seems on the outside, but everything. It seems completely independent of my perception of it. Everything in this world, I don't care what it is. This, the nearest thing in my world, seems so completely detached and independent of my perception of it. And this is my circular world. As I look at the world, to the extent that I can take everything in my world and change it and make it conform to my ideal of what I think it ought to be, always using love as a motivation. Let me use my imagination lovingly on behalf of every being in the world and see then as they ought to be seen were they now actually enjoying what they are doing. Let me persuade myself that it is true. As I bring about these changes in my outer world, the circular thing, I am producing that circular motion within me. I'm binding it. And when I'm completely convinced that nothing in this world truly exists independently, independently of my perception of it, but nothing, I have completed that circular motion. And then will come that moment in time when I will have all these rocks, as told us in the fifth chapter of Second Samuel. They'll be split right down the middle, that which divided the land. And I will go up in circular motion to Zion. For we are told in the 84th Psalm that crowds of people are eagerly waiting to mount into Zion to display themselves before God, eagerly waiting. The whole vast world is waiting, but they don't know how to get there. You get there in the same way that David builds a city, said the critics. No man can build in a circular and inward at one at the same time, unless, of course, he proposes to build in a spiral manner. How else could he do it? And they can't quite understand it. They have maps, all kinds of maps of the Near East. Trying to, in some way, interpret this is where David did it. It hasn't a thing to do with modern Jerusalem or any Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem. This is Zion. This is Jerusalem. So he's indicating himself, uh, his skull. And I start from generation... At the base of my skull, I go down into the base of my spine. That's where we generate in this world. And then I reverse the process. Someone told them, or I don't remember, but someone told them that nothing in this world truly exists independently of my perception of it. I may at that very moment have doubted it and then taken it under consideration. But maybe I experimented. 
and I proved, at least to my own satisfaction, that something worked. It seems so completely independent of me. And then I am told there are there are all the lame and the blind. Someone couldn't see his way towards his job, couldn't see his way towards something. He was lame, he was halt. And then I was told, he really is not independent of you. You know that's your lameness, that's your blindness. He's in your world, that being, that being is in your world, and that whole thing is in your world. He is unemployed, and yet, yet he should be, because he has an obligation to life. He's unemployed, well then bring him into your mind's eye, because you are blind, you are the lame, and then do it. And you do it without his or her, or the, his or her, his or her, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been recording a lot today. You do it without his or her knowledge or consent, and it works. And up you begin to make the circular motion, as you change this fabulous circular world, on the outside, you are moving up this way on the inside. So he indicates, um, you know, a spiral going upward. As you move up by changing your, your world and making it conform to your dream, the ideal, as it ought to be, you move up. One day you hit the last point and then comes that enormous power of creativity, which was resting at the base of the spine. It was enormous power, and you were it. It was God all along. God is decent. And there you saw it. And you can say to yourself, I know it is myself, O oh, my divine creator and redeemer. And you, as it, moved up in a circular motion, in the most perfect manner, just like a serpent. But you went in a circular manner right into Zion to present yourself before the Lord of hosts, the God of gods, and you are he. Everyone has to make the motion. So I tell you, you started by seeing your world. And if you look at the world, everything seems in a circle. Everything really is blind. Who can see tomorrow? They're speculating. They're all plotting and planning tomorrow. All the great leaders of the world are plotting and planning for us. Our political leaders are plotting not tomorrow. They're plotting next year's elections. Not this November, but a year from November. They're more concerned about a year from this coming November than they are about any crisis tomorrow, as far as they are concerned. They aren't concerned about that. They're thinking of a year from November. That's a year and a half away. They're more concerned about the results than they are about things here and now, all plotting and planning and scheming. I tell you, forget it. Look upon your world and you start doing it. Take a simple one in your world. Maybe you're servant and maybe you have because of your changes in your life. You must let the servant go. Let the employee go. But don't let him go or her go into the vacuum. See them gainfully employed before you let them go. When you give them their severance, per severance pay, bring them into your mind's eye and see them more gainfully employed than you employed them. As you do that, you are moving up this way on the inside. Let the whole vast world deride you. I don't care what it does. They will still be plotting for tomorrow's election unnumbered centuries from now. But you will be in Zion. Everyone must move into Zion, and you move into Zion in a definite technique. Listen to the words. 
I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And may I tell you the true vine of eternity is the human imagination, that's Christ. Christ is really your own wonderful human imagination. It is he that is doing the work that must move up, and that's how he moves up. He moves up by transforming every being through the medium of love in this world, but every being, no matter who he is. And when I tell you the story, you may at this moment find this vine a wild tree. I found it a wild tree. Whenever I heard the story, whenever you hear it, at that moment it's a wild tree. And so the poet said, I found it a wild tree whose wanton strength had a swollen into, reg- into irregular twigs. But I pruned the plant, and then it grew temperate in its vain expense of useless leaves, and nodded, as you see, into these full, clean clusters to repay the hand that wisely wounded it. That's from Browning. And so if you look, it's a wild, wild tree. I had brought in everything in this world based upon the the blind and the lame on the outside. They're all blind. They couldn't see where they're going. They're all complaining, doing all kinds of things, criticizing, and they were lame. They were in need of help, and I allowed it because to me that was fact. Then I was told it doesn't exist independently of your perception of it. All this blindness and the lameness is all you pushed out. And so when I found it, it was a wild tree. I hadn't pruned it, and I had allowed it over the unnumbered years of time to go into useless leaves. Then I became the vine dresser. And then I would prune. So it would start to bud, and then the bud became the blossom, and the blossom became the grape. As it ripened into the grape, then every branch that didn't have blossoms and grapes, you cut it off. It isn't bearing. Well, then cut it off that it may not use the enormous power and sap, these lovely clusters that could become bigger and bigger, and you cut it off. And so everything in this world becomes now something out of your own wonderful mind. There's nothing in this world but God, nothing. God is taking everyone here, individualizing himself, and each becomes God with the same power. And so he has to do the same thing because my father is the vine dresser. He is the vine dresser and every branch that bears no fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So someone will reach a certain level There's no limit in this world. He's reached that. You can't coast in this world. There's no status quo. All right, push it up higher. Something lovelier. And all of a sudden, this thing is moving. And it's moving in a peculiar way. Up your entire spine. And when you've done it so that no power in the world could change it, there's no one who could convince you that this isn't true. You've proven it. You've had the experience. And you can say with Kathy of Wuthering Heights, which undoubtedly are the words of Emily Bront, but she puts her own experience into the words of character. And she said, I have dreamt in her own experience into the words of a character. And she said, I have dreamt in my life dreams that have stayed with me ever after and changed my ideas. They've gone through and through me, just like wine through water, and and altered the color of my mind. Emily brought or Emily Bront, undoubtedly awoke in a dream one day. Could have been a daydream or nightdream, but she awoke in the dream. 
And from that moment on, Emily Bront never could be the same. When one awakes in a dream to find the dream not a dream, will you say of it, I'm dreaming? No, I'm not, I am awake. It is really so. And the dream becomes as objective as this room is objective. Then you can't think of anything in this world thereafter as you thought of it prior to that experience. You can't do it. So you think of a person and you see the person as they would like to be seen by the whole vast world. You may not succeed in awakening in that dream, but that's a dream. That's a daydream. You may not succeed, but you can't deny the experience that once you were dreaming in a similar way and you awoke in it and there he was. The embodiment of what you imagined him to be. Can't deny that. So whether you fail a thousand times, you can't deny that there is such a possibility of thinking of a friend, seeing him as you would like to see him, as he would like to see himself, and awakening in that state to see that he's actually in that state, and then it comes through this world. Well, whether you succeed or not, you can't deny the experience. So she said, I have dreamt, and my life dreams have stayed with me ever after and changed my ideas. They've gone through and through me like wine, through water, and altered the color of my mind, like turning wine into water. You can't change its color. <coughs> Excuse me, and the whole thing remains colored. My life is colored, the pigment of my imagination having had these experiences, and I can't change it. So I can tell you today, although the scholars will say it doesn't make sense, I was reading this day, and I went to my Bible. Here, these are the so-called greatest scholars on the biblical score in this world today. A hundred odd. The books are only a few years old, so I opened up the book, and this is actually what he said. Someone must have in some way disturbed the script, because one thing is certain, and this is the word he used. One thing is certain. This does not make sense. And there's no way they can rearrange it to give it sense. Makes all the sense in the world. For said he, David is building in a circle an accepted architectural feat. This unusual architectural feat of building spirally, building a spiral, that's exactly what he's doing. But the scholar did not have the experience of moving up in a spiral. And you move up in a spiral, in a spiral after you've been building and rearranging the circle. So you take every person in your world, I don't care who he is, who she is, and you represent them to yourself as yourself that they are. And then they become it. And you are rearranging and building your circle. And you're doing it. And you are actually performing an interaction. And you're moving up. Then comes that moment in time when there's a terrific severance of the stones. Bear in mind, David said, whoever will subdue the Jebusites... All these blind and the lame, let him go up the water shaft. Second Samuel 5.8 We must go up the water shaft, and that water shaft is in you. It's your own wonderful spinal column. As we brought out last Friday night, Moses discovered the dwelling place of Jehovah in a tree that was aflame. And yet, though aflame, it didn't consume him. A flaming tree? Well, I am the flaming tree. You are the flaming tree. It's an actual flaming tree, and yet it doesn't consume. Like that little poem, only in that case it consumed. Two little moths were sent by their king to investigate. The nature of a flame, because a flame is to a moth 
It's God. After a little while, they returned with uncertain intelligence. One thought it was warm, and the other thought it was bright, but they didn't quite understand the nature of the flame. The third moth went and moved by true desire. He folded his wings beneath him and plunged headlong into the sacred fire, until he became one color and one substance with the flame. He only knew the flame who in it burned, and only he could tell who never returned to tell. But unlike this flame, you do return. I return. I have plunged headlong into the sacred flame when I saw it. And I knew it to be myself as I saw it. I didn't hesitate for one nth of a part of the nth part of a second. I plunged headlong into the sacred flame and went right up in a serpentine form into Zion, into my skull. I have returned to tell it so I can tell you exactly what's going to happen to you. Every being in this world is going to have the identical experience. And so we take the blind and we take the lame and we take the halt. We take all these things, we change them and make them conform to it. As they conform to it, you, unknown to yourself, you are really build, building inward. Building inward. And finally, after unnumbered, how long, I don't know. But there comes that moment when you least expect it. When these stones through which the shaft came are suddenly split from top to bottom. The temple is split from top to bottom and you, plunging into the sacred flame, move up in this most marvelous way. Then we are told there will come before you a tall, smooth-skinned lad. Again, reading that, they said, for they're tall and majestic creatures. They can't get away from the outer flesh and blood. Hasn't a thing to do with the Ethiopian or any other majestic creature that he is. He is a majestic creature, no question about it, tall and majestic. But that's not the being. You are the serpentine. You are seraphim, a being that is a flaming being. Yet you can't quite describe it. Human face, yes, human hands, yes, human feet, but the form you can't describe. The best you can do when you come to it, it is serpentine. And it is smooth, and it is tall, and it is godlike. It is God. So that's the being we become as we move up. You will remain in this world, clothed, once more in this little garment, to tell it to everyone who will listen to it, until you leave and take off the garment for the last time. For as you move into Zion, you inherit the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. But the glory of your inheritance cannot be fully realized while still wearing this garment. But the day will come in the not distant future. Because what is life but three score and ten? And remember David in the story he started to re reign at thirty. He reigned for seven and a half years. And then reigned for thirty-three years and made his exit at seventy. You ask yourself, who is this David? Who is this creature that conquered Zion, which is called God's living place? Whenever you see him, you will see him in Zion. For that is where God dwells. And David conquered it for him. And when David conquered it, then he sets the father free. So everyone who finds David and sees him as his son has been set free. For he as David conquered. So he conquers by setting free the blind and the lame and the halt. May I tell you, you will have an experience before the serpentine motion takes place. Or you will anticipate the glory of that state. You will come upon a scene, but it will be preceded by a similar motion in you. 
and a heavenly chorus will sing out. It will sing out, calling you by your name. You are risen. And then you will see the blind, and the lame, and the halt, and the withered. As you walk by, everyone will be transformed into the most glorious creature you have ever seen. There will be no blind, no halt, and no withered. And you see them all, and everyone will be made perfect. When the very last is made perfect, the chorus will exult. Call on you again by name and say, it is finished. And then you will be encouraged to go on doing what you've been doing, telling everything you've seen, not to really add up. But you will do it, and you'll still do it. You may never hear from the unnumbered hundreds whose good news you heard, because only one in ten ever returns to ever say thank you. So don't expect two, they won't come. One will always say thank you, and then I will go the way, saying it would have happened anyway. They could always justify the good fortune and never turn back. But 1% will always come back, one of 10. I should say, so 10%? 10 will come back out of 100. You will hear it for hundreds, and they'll take it for granted and go their way. Because they think if they came back and thanked you, they should accompany the thanks with a bill. And you don't need their bill. They don't know you've inherited the kingdom of God. They're afraid to come back because, attached to their thanks, some expression of thanks in the form of a gift, and you don't need their gifts. But they will do it and they'll go their way, and the 10%, only 10 out of 100, will return. But as they return, it only confirms this wonderful, that you can set free the blind and set free the lame. And as you do it years later in my own case, Because that happened to me in 1946, and it was in 1960 that this temple of mine was split from top to bottom, and I was moved up in a serpentine form into Zion on the morning of April 8, 1960. So from 1946 to 1960, yet I went blindly on believing that I could transform people by simply believing in the reality of my imaginal act. And so I believed. I imagined that you were so-and-so, convinced myself that it was true, went about my business and 10% wrote me letters, or saw me in person or called me on the wire to tell me that it worked. The other 90% went their way, justifying and thought that they had saved a dollar. That's the word. But there was no change, or but there was no charge attached to it in the first place. However, that's the picture in the world. So here we are told it doesn't make sense. Somebody in some strange way has changed the script. The script hasn't changed. They can't find any older manuscript or any other manuscript that doesn't say the same thing. But scholars can't understand it. So they conclude. One thing for sure of which we are certain, this doesn't make sense. So they're sure. Because you cannot build in a circle and inward at once and the same time. Unless, of course, said he, you're performing the most unusual architectural feat of building in, spirally. Well, you're building in spirally, of which you are totally unaware. But the spiral only begins when you're going to conquer a land where there are the blind and the lame. And that blind and the lame, it's Zion, ruled by the Jebusites. It is said, it is so impervious of attack, it's so impregnable. You could never attack it. 
There's the smallest little garrison on the blind and lame to ward off the blows of David. But David conquered Zion. Then he said, whoever would conquer Zion, let him move up this shaft. The only way to do it. They think of a huge big place that is an enormous city. And down below where the water came that David and his men go, got under the ground. And down below where the water came that David and his men got under the ground, came down by the water's edge. And in some strange way, came up the shaft and conquered it from within. Well, he did, but not as he planned it, because the Zion that he conquers is his own skull, where all that you behold, though it appears without, is within, in your imagination, of which this world of mortality is but a shadow. There's nothing on the outside, even though everything tells you that it is. And so at that moment, when everything is screaming how real it is, independent of your own perception of it, it is then that you've got to start applying this principle. And someone who would not listen to you, but you love him. You're going to tell everyone, he will not listen to you. Nevertheless, without his consent, you see him as he would like to see himself. And maybe he will be one of the nine who never return. Because it's going to happen, so naturally to him, he will never think that you in any way had any part in the doing. So leave him alone, perfectly all right, but to your own satisfaction, you saw a transformation. The blind is not the blind anymore, and he wasn't lame anymore. He didn't come home bringing excuses to his wife that things are bad, competition is horrible, and so he isn't lame anymore. He comes home with his head up, and it's marvelous. And so you heard of it. It doesn't matter, you heard it. And so the lame is no more the lame, and you are conquering. As you conquer all the lame, no more is lame. And you are conquering. As you conquer all the lame and all the blind in your world, suddenly up you go into Zion. And may I tell you, I can't tell you the thrill and the joy that comes to the individual who moves up in that serpentine form right into Zion and becomes a member of the hierarchy. He knows in the depth of his soul that if he remains for another 10 years or 20 years or whatever the interval, it's only until the garment for the last time comes off, for he has gone up. But he's hoped that he has told it so they understood it to the point where they, could be where they would believe it and practice it that they too may start the process of building the city, starting, yes, in a circle, but also inward at the same time. And so it is inward. It's all done in silence. And up they go one day when they least expect it. Now let us go into the silence. Okay, there we go. That is the end of Neville Goddard's lecture titled, I Am the Vine. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. And um, I hope to see you guys back next time. All right. Have a great day.